Okay, test it out. Test, 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 In five, four, three. Hey, everybody. This is Danielle. Oh, and this is Daniel. <laughs> and this is Carla. We are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. He can't help it. He drools everywhere he goes. He's a very strange animal. What did he get into last night? Oh, he stole a stick of butter off the counter. Oh, God. Yep. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound good at all. And it's, gone, it's like gone instantly. Like he yeah, just butter. swallows it. It wasn't like, but it's still in a solid shape. He just Slides swallows right it down. whole. Yep. And I was like, what the fuck? So you can't even like yell at him to take it away from him. paper and all. It goes down. Oh no. So he didn't even get to enjoy it. <laughs> no, he didn't even like try to unwrap it or mush it up. He just swallowed it all. Oh my God. I feel like that would upset your stomach. Yeah. But he can't not, stop. not that animal. No. He's a garbage disposal. Is butter a carb? Butter? He's like the, he's like the pig from the Flintstones. Yeah. It's it's under the sink. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, did you notice anything as you came up our street? It's raining. Mm, it's almost snowing now. A Christmas miracle occurred as we were leaving for Meyer. A tow truck came down our street, and when it left, it took that piece of shit RV with it. You'd be caring too much. Da, da, yeah, I was gonna say it bothers you. That should be something that I complain about. And you say if it was me. You'd be yelling at me for caring so much. Yeah, to get over it. Yeah, I it, honestly, I never noticed it once. It's so annoying. What about it? I it's don't ugly. like it. I didn't like it when it was in the street. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's not. It wasn't as bad in the driveway, but still, apparently, like our covenant or whatever, it can't be blocking any other buildings. Like it needs to be pulled all the way back to the side of the house. Well, I think that's actually. Um, I think that's actually law. Yeah, he's trying it's to now. But anyways, my guess is someone is paying to have it fixed as a Christmas present, and it will be back, and they will ask more money for it. So it'll be back. Are you sure? I bet it does. Look. Hey, I just got Carla, s- have you met my new friend, Nancy? Nancy Drew? No. Negative. <laughs> negative. Negative, Nancy. I, okay, you knew that before you Hey, it came back one day, and I was just like, what? But why? Why? I could literally say, like, it's a beautiful day, and Danielle will be like, yeah, well, it's probably going to rain tomorrow. It is going <laughs> to rain tomorrow, in fact. <laughs> I just won a million dollars. How much tax do you have well, to pay on that? How much tax do you have to pay on that? I live with another negative Nancy. I'm a lot more positive than you. No, that's not true. Mm-mm, man. <laughs> Mm-mm. Okay, I'm negative about real stuff. You're negative about dumb shit that doesn't matter. That's, yeah, that's like, kind of true. That RV matters. I love that our neighbor, neighbor, it was parked in the street and our neighbor, their kid, how old is the the youngest kid? Seven? Something like that. And he was, he's riding a bike and he drove into the RV full force (laughs) (laughs) and he had white down him because it was so gross. Ew. That's awful. (laughs) So he like couldn't swerve around this giant RV. (laughs) What'd you do last night? I drank alcohol. Yeah, we're at. Uh, Kilroy's is open again. Why was it closed? They were doing renovation. Okay. Okay. Dad is back in the hospital, right? That was fun. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Mom was going to... I texted him and told him that I called to have a, a stripper sent to him to make him, to cheer him up. And when they said, okay, and they asked for the location, I said, Methodist Hospital, they hung up. <laughs> <laughs> I bet someone has tried to do that before, actually. Well, if they dress as a nurse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sexy nurse. Yep. No, I just... What is he having? That's what I should have done. I should have got a sexy nurse outfit and walked in there and sat down. <laughs> I don't think they can stop Let you. Let me take your blood pressure, say. <laughs> oh, man. So he's having a stent put on... Or they're doing... They don't, they don't they know don't anything. Know. A stent put on it. Because he had open heart surgery and he still has had chest pains since then, so... You know, I don't think they know for sure that's what they're doing. But yeah, he just—they kept him over the weekend. Likely, yeah, he says he's bored out of his mind. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. He's, he's fucking bored. And 
Your mm-hmm. mom said he was he was fine the first night staying because, you know, they gave him morphine the first night. And He's like, you're fine with anything. Yeah. They gave him some fentanyl, too, later. Right. So that's some serious But since shit. then, they, yeah. they're not giving out the fun stuff, so. Well, he's, and he made it sound like he didn't need it. He's like, is it nah. just because I've been sitting around all day that nothing's happening? Yeah, he probably doesn't need it now, but I guess it's hard to judge your pain if you're on painkillers. He, he said it was hurting. When he yeah. was on the morphine. Okay, that's probably why they gave him something more. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I told him to watch. Well, we set up stuff on the iPad, and it's great fun to watch mom and dad try to figure out the iPad. Like, and to show him how What to did I it. send you? I sent you that thing. It's like, when you, like, you try to act dumber than your other siblings so that your parents won't come, will go to them for help with electric, or electronics. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. I'm I don't know, dumb. ask Danielle. I don't know. Technically, I'm... I'm a millennial, but uh, I don't know how to do this. Uh. <laughs> well, the worst part about it is, is you try to, you try to set something up, and you tell them how to do it, and then they're like, "Well, I don't think that's how this is going to work," and it's like, "No, this is how this is going to work." Listen yeah, they me. then they disagree with you on how you, Dad, he's bad about it. He is. Yeah. Or he's, then they go into a big thing about how that doesn't make any sense, and I'm going to yell at it and be mad, and you're going to sit here and listen to me complain about how. This is not how I would have done this. <laughs> Do we all know where I get it from? Like, that's it, man. That's not how I would have put done this it. together. It's like, argue with Mr. Apple. Yeah, but we can look at you and say, shut the fuck up, Danielle. What? Yes. No. You're, you're, da- you're on the same level as us. You're da- not our superior. Yeah. In fact, you might be inferior. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> the problem is the vagina we share stays with her at all times. So, you know, if I piss her off too bad. I'll just take it on vacation. Take it. (laughs) (laughs) So we told Daddy needs to watch the Mandalorian. Mandalorian on Disney Plus. The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. You know we're from Indiana. This is Hoosier homicide. (laughs) We're going to talk about the Mandalorian with the baby Yoda. I love baby Yoda. Yoda. He's the cutest thing ever. Yeah, they need to, they're going to have to hurry up and get some product out because people will eat that up. I know. Yeah, it's like, Disney, take my money. I need Baby Yoda. We've been rewatching the Star Wars from... What, rewatching? But see, you know what? I just... We finished the third one. Revenge of the Sith? Sith, yes. But so, if we're going to technically watch them in order, we really should watch the, I think, the Chewbacca one. And then we should watch... Um, Rogue One. Oh, I forgot about all the extra ones. But <laughs> ha! Uh, okay, no, 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 Boris. no, Boris, no, Boris. Baba. He can't. He like sits on my chest when my hair like gets caught under his ass, and he's not sorry about it. Just over there, and Jimmy stepped on my belly. My belly hurts. Oh, <laughs> here, let me lick your face. <laughs> Who's your good boy? Who's your good dog? Boris, you gotta get down. I mean, you can stand there as long as you don't hit the mic. Tickle, don't me. Hit the tickle me with your whiskers. <laughs> she wanted the heated blanket on her bed last night. Mm-hmm. So guess where Boris slept last night? In her bed. <laughs> yep, on the heated blanket. He's like, motherfucker, took my blanket. Took my damn blanket. I need to wash it. I feel like gross. Well. Well, that's my story. Wild, well, my wild story, times. My story is that the Indiana Hoosiers took back the old oaken bucket yeah. when they defeated Purdue in double overtime last night. Oaken and you bucket. and 20 other people are all that care about that. I had a good time. I had a good time. <laughs> 20 other people. It was fun to watch. Yeah, that's good. Was it that was. what dad was watching? That's what I like mm-hmm. about modern technology is I can put on on a computer screen at work, I can put on college football, and I can also continue to work while it plays. Yeah. Multitasking. Multitasking. Yes. But if it's a bad game, I turn it off. There you go. Because it'll make you more mad. Yep. Huh? No, sometimes it can be a little distracting. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes Boris is distracting from the podcast, aren't you? I'm not going to say it. Never mind. No. I'm going to probably have to cut some of that too. Yeah. Because in case they listen. Mm-hmm. Oh, who the hell actually listens? No one really <laughs> listens to us. I did a lot of cooking, and we have leftovers that I didn't get any of. They're still here. I just would be mad about it. 
Oh, okay. See, that sounds more like me. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so dad asked me what the subject was, and now I don't have my phone, so if he's texting me. And she, now she can't remember what we're supposed to be fucking talking about. I have the papers on my lap. As if people are texting you. Dad does. Half um, the people that text you are in this room. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and if Boris had a phone, I don't think he would text you anyway. He would if he wanted fed. All right, Good tell point. us a damn story. Okay, this comes from murderpedia.org, crimelibrary.com, and coloradolifemagazine.com, and I think Wikipedia also. Um, this is Hoosier Homicide. Not Colorado homicide. Hey, it all connects. I promise. But this main article from Crime Library was Catherine Ramsland that wrote most of this. But it's all peppered in. I shuffle things up. You know, I'm in charge. We like to shuffle things here. (laughs) Okay. This is an old one. In 1873, Alfred Packer, 31 met a group of 20 other prospectors from Bingham Canyon, Utah, near Salt Lake City that were on their way to San Juan Mountains in Colorado to seek wealth from mining minerals, including gold. I love gold. (laughs) The only kind of gold I like is liquid gold. There was something the the other day that I was thinking... Get the skin box. It's because she was collecting leaves. So I was like, get the skin That's box. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All of a sudden, she's like, we're walking out the door and she turns around. She picks up some leaves off the ground and goes, here, wait. Put. Th- I need these for my collection. <laughs> like, what? I'm like, Leaf what? Collection. what collection? <laughs> she goes, that I started right now in this very moment. Alfred was without money and also lacked adequate supplies, so the men were apprehensive to take him along. But Alfred claimed that he was both a prospector and a guide and that he knew the San Juan territory well. So they ran into this dude, 20 20 dudes in a mountain ran into this one guy. Says, I have nothing to offer to this venture, but please let me come along because I know the area. And his claim gave him a position of worth amongst the simple prospectors. So they're like, we don't know where we are and you do, so come with us. They knew nothing of Colorado's geography. Unfortunately, neither did Alfred. (laughs) It's all lies. Members of this original party later said that he had vastly overstated his experience of being a seasoned guide familiar to the area, or he even lied about his qualifications altogether. No one would do such. Yeah, but that makes you vital. It's like, I don't have money or supplies, but hey, I know where we are. And it's like, they're like, okay. I'd believe someone. Yeah, I would too. (laughs) During this part of the expedition, some of the food supply was lost along the way, and the would-be miners grew hungry and desperate. The party eventually arrived in January of 1874 to Chief Ure's Ute Camp. Yep. Huh. A Native American camp in northwestern Colorado where they were cared for and urged to remain until spring. So this Native American chief was known to be kind to people like these dudes, prospectors, as long as they didn't settle on his land. Like, if you're just passing through, like, that's fine. So that's what they, they helped. They got gave them food or supplies and said, you really should just stay here because the weather is really bad. Um, another man on the trip, Preston Nutter. <laughs> Can you spell the last name for me just to make sure we're not having another one of those, you know, St. Louis, Louisville kind of things? N-U-T-T-E-R. Yep, that's it. Okay. Uh, summed up the general opinion of Alfred Packer. He was sulky, obstinate, and quarrelsome. He was a petty thief willing to take things that did not belong to him, whether of any value or not. Throughout the course of their journey, Alfred was reported as being greedy with rations, a bit of a beggar, lazy and obstinate. At that time of year, the mountain passes were treacherous, and the Ute said, and the snow could be, like, they said that the snow could bury men. So you would just die in a blizzard and it would not be wise to proceed. They're like, just chill here with us. But the problem is if you're not headed towards where the gold is, someone else is going to get it and you won't get any. You're going to miss out. Nevertheless, a handful of these prospectors could not wait and they wanted to be the first of the mines before anyone else. Five of them, frenzies by the prospecting spirit, decided to risk all and continue over the mountains to the Los Pinos Indian Agency near Saguchi. In Gunnison. Oh, yeah. I know I'm saying some of those wrong. Because I know this, the S A G U A C H E does not, is not pronounced correctly. Do we need to give works. a, uh, do we need to give a, um, uh, warn people before the episode begins that some of the names and places have been altered to protect identifications? 
No. <laughs> they really it's pronounced just poorly. <laughs> we don't want to offend anyone, though. So, no, if a lot you of this. are of Native American descent, we're sorry we can't pronounce anything. No, and some of it says Indian. And I think I changed something to say Native American, but sometimes it's just the title of the, the land. You can't change what a place is named. No, not now. <laughs> Alfred joined them as their appointed guide. So, even though they kind of knew he probably didn't know what the fuck he was doing, he's still like, let me come with you guys. Hey, guys, wait up. They left on February 9th with a 10-day supply of food for a 40-mile journey that turned out to be closer to 80 miles and a 20-day trek. The doomed men included Shannon Wilson Bell, Israel Swan, James Humphrey, Frank Miller, and George California Noon, who was only 18. He must have been from California. You said they were doomed. Oh, I said they were doomed. So there were like two groups of men... That said, we're still going. And the chief guy is like, well, if you're not going to listen to me and you're going to go anyways, stay by the Gunnis River, the Bell Gunnis River, <laughs> because it's the safest route. Well, Alfred and them are like, yeah, that's probably the safest, but it's also longer. So we'll go through the mountains. They were, were actually the same distance. The mountains was just more treacherous. So they picked the worst way to go. And they didn't have a water supply then. or Plus, everything's fucking frozen. they were almost immediately lost the relentless snow fell so deep that they had to travel they were immediately lost yes was it like that scene from beetlejuice they you know where they step out the front door and all of a sudden they're in the sandworm Mm -hmm. dimension they had to travel along the ridges rather than the gulches that planned on falling oh damn i hate when that happens gulches never heard that word before they got lost because there was so much snow, you couldn't even turn around and follow your paths like backward. Like if you're like, fuck this, I'm going home or back to the Native Americans that were smart. And because you, you couldn't, you were already lost. After nine days, they ate their final pint of flour, which they mixed with melted snow to make some sort of mush. Ugh. A few days later, George offered his pair of goatskin moccasins to eat. They plucked out the hair, roasted and ate them. Every Goat skin moccasins. Shoes. They're eating their shoes. Every few days, they eat another man's moccasins until there were none left. They soon ran out of matches, so they marched with burning coals and a coffee pot, which Old Man Swan volunteered to carry keep, to keep his hands warm. He was suffering the worst from the cold, so the oldest person isn't doing well. They forged ahead an ever-growing blanket of snow, making it impossible to retrace their steps. Two months later, Alfred Packer came out alone from the winter wilderness and walked into Los Pinos Indian Agency. It was April 16th, and some witnesses say they saw him in nearby town of Saguchi more than a week earlier. Oddly, when he arrived, he had several wallets in his possession from which he extracted rolls of cash. And although he professed having gone for more than a day without food, he asked for nothing to eat. He just wanted some whiskey. He mentioned that he'd hurt his leg and had become snowblind, making himself a burden for the other men, so he was abandoned by his party and left with only a rifle. He was not sure where the other men were, and he had expected them to beat him out of the mountains. Snowblind is like UV damage, I think, from like the snow. Snow is so bright. If the, you know, like the sun reflects mm-hmm. off the snow, it's like eventually like you burned your eyes. That's what they get. Yeah. They should have told him to take UV protection. If our daughter was going somewhere, the first thing would be sunglasses. But the prospectors had not been seen. People who listened to his tales at the saloon thought he'd taken the dead man's possessions. Alfred was thought to be nearly penniless, so how did he get money for a new horse and saddle when he hit town? And how could he afford his current drinking and card-playing spree in a local saloon? Larry Doolin, the owner, claimed that Alfred spent around $100, equivalent of over $2,000 in 2018. So he spent like $2,000 during his stay, and then Alfred even offered to lend him $300. Uh, Alfred drank heavily and daily and often became intoxicated. He gave several different and conflicting stories regarding his journey and how he came to be detached from the other men. This led to quick gossip among the townspeople. Given his ever-evolving story, seemingly endless cash flow, and the fact that this party was still unheard from. So the other men have yet to show up, but he has money in like five wallets. (laughs) And the standard five wallets that you take. There's nothing suspicious about that. Doesn't look familiar to me. What? I just saw you, Doctor. Yeah. No, it's not mine. It is yours. I am trying to be a good person and return it to you. Return what to who? 
aren't you Patrick Star? Yep. And this is your ID. Yep. I found this ID in this wallet. And if that's the case, this must be your wallet. That makes sense to me. Then take it. It's not my wallet. And later in the episode, he asks him what he's like holding or something. He looks at him and goes, my wallets. (laughs) My wallet. (laughs) My wallets. It's because they say don't sit on your wallet in your back pocket. But if you have an even number of wallets. What if you, I was going to say, what happens if you're like, sometimes I just decide, I think I'm going to take like four or five wallets out with me. Mm -hmm. Well, I put a credit card in each one. (laughs) <laughs> that way if one of them gets stolen you know it's i'm good to less go of a problem oh man then a native american guide walked along the trail and found strips of meat which turned out to be human flesh oops i think he actually called it white man flesh and you're like okay and alfred- you can tell it's a lot more fatty i'm Ugh. sure alfred's tale soon began to sound like outright lies and from all appearances he had killed the others survived off their meat and stole from their corpses like, uh-oh. That's just not very nice. It was a census worker. He was trying to test him. <laughs> About a month after he emerged from the wilderness alone, Alfred admitted that he knew what had happened to the others in his party and was willing to, revi- willing to provide details. On May 8th, his confession was given and signed under General Charles Adams' supervision at the Los Pinos Indian Agency. Alfred recounted that right away, poor weather conditions hindered the party's progress and their supplies eventually ran out. Streams and lakes were too frozen or treacherous to fish and wild game was scarce. They could not turn back, but they were not optimistic about going forward either. Since they were already starving, their situation looked bleak. Alfred's statements indicated that the other five men had died at various stages of their journey, either as starvation overtook them or as they were killed in self-defense from one another one another's hunger driven madness so that would make sense it's like the first person to fall we're eating but we're still moving along on our journey trying to go the direction we think is the right direction and then another person dies and they're like well gotta eat them israel swan being the oldest at around 65 died first about 10 days after the group departed and the survivors had all taken pieces from him to eat then four or five days later james humphrey died and was also eaten he provided. He proved to have $133 in his pocket, and Alfred admitted that he had taken it. The man was no longer going to need it, so why not? I mean, that's fair. I don't know if this was, like, paper money or if it was coins, because it's, like, paper money you could burn, like, to start a fire. Like, because they said they ran, I think they're out of matches now, and I guess. you but would be the first to say, let's burn, burn money. my money. <laughs> <laughs> my hard-earned money. But I don't know. Uh, the third man, he referred to as the butcher, was Frank Miller. He died in an accident that occurred while Alfred was searching for wood. He did not specify what kind of accident. The other two, who were still alive, decided to eat him, and Alfred returned in time to witness the act. The next to go was the boy, George Noon. Alfred reported that while he was off for several days hunting for game, Shannon Bell had shot California Noon with Israel's gun. Alfred had returned, and together they ate him. That only left Alfred and Bell. Despite the fact that they had just dined, it seems that Bell decided that he was going to be the only survivor. Bell wanted to kill me, Alfred report indicates. First, at, he struck at me with his rifle, struck a tree, and broke his gun. So he, had, so he had killed him first, and that only left one. Why Alfred had not offered this tale immediately upon returning to the settlement is not made clear in his confession. He swore that the statement was the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And the truth shall set him free. Mm-hmm. General Adams was inclined to believe his story and authorized a search for the bodies, with Alfred as the guide. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, boy. Like, yeah, I'm really good at this. After two weeks, as the party was reaching the area of Lake Fork of the Gunnis River, Alfred claimed that he was lost and that the area did not look right. Nutter called him a liar and a murderer and insisted that he be hung then and there. And then he said, well, how are you going to get back without me? Yeah, I'm the world's best guide. (laughs) All the snow looks alike. Nothing was found, and the party headed back to the agency. Along their route back, Alfred attempted to murder Herman Lauder with a large knife he had concealed in his clothing. He was caught in the act, restrained, and arrested. General Adams had been willing to believe Alfred up to this point, but the unprovoked attempt made on one of his officers' lives convinced him that Alfred was dangerous. 
He was jailed by the sheriff outside the town itself for his own protection. So now they're keeping him, but they haven't charged him with anything. In August 1874, John A. Randolph, an artist sent out to Colorado for the Harper's Weekly magazine, came across a startling sight at Slumgullen Pass. Five sets of human remains lay in a cluster near the bank of the Gunnison River, just two miles from present-day Lake City. Covered in sweet baby rays. (laughs) He realized at once that this had to be the prospectors. So they're all together dead, not like strung out as people would be dropping like flies type of thing, like one after the other, but all at the same time in the same place. They're all dead, which doesn't fit with Alfred's story. Uh, he dragged the bodies all to oh, one All spot. the way back. <laughs> Among the remains were pieces of torn clothing, blankets, and some shreds of flesh, but weather and animals had clearly done damage to the evidence. Their feet were still bound in blankets because they had eaten their shoes. And Randolph found no shoes, cooking utensils, or guns around them. It appeared that they had not only been murdered where they lay, but also horribly ravaged. And one set of remains was missing its head. Two had pieces of... It was Myra. My remains. (laughs) Two had pieces of flesh cut out. One out of the breast and one out of the thigh. And one appeared to have... Oh, those are my favorite. Those are my two favorite parts. Uh, Boobies. Randolph spent some time at the site sketching. You broke off my mom's favorite part. <laughs> I love the Goonies. Glued it upside down. If God made us like that, we'd be pissing each other's faces. spent some time at the site sketching them all in detailed composition and then reported his discovery. So it just so happens like a reporter stumble that can draw found them first. And it's like, really? Like, what are the coincidences of that? I don't know. Mm. The Hinsdale County Coroner W.F. Ryan hurried to the spot with 20 other men to hold an inquest. But unfortunately, he didn't write down a single goddamn thing. Like, the coroner didn't write anything down, like, of what they found. Maybe he couldn't write. Mm, that's, yeah. Or read. Preston Nutter identified the remains as those of his former companions, and by a process of elimination, it was determined that Frank Miller was the one without a head. The bodies were buried together in graves on a high bluff nearby. The area became known as Dead Man's Gulch. Fittingly. I want to go there. I think the head, though, got drug off by animals. I don't think it was part of, like, the murder. Dead men tell no tales. After they finished this grisly investigation, the group returned to town to confront Alfred with his obvious lies. However, they learned that he had escaped from jail. Some said he'd had the assistance of an accomplice because the town was sick of using taxpayers' money to jail a man that had not been charged with any crime for so long. So they're just keeping him. They got to feed him and stuff. And the people are like, fuck this. Get out of here. Where he might have gone? No one knew. That's what my thing. It's like you survive this like 40 day journey in the freezing weather and they make you go back out for two weeks in it to find the bodies. I'm like, no, I'm really over the cold. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it. I don't know how they didn't all get frostbite too. I don't understand. Maybe, I don't know. They were continuously like moving, walking or something. I don't know. There's long been confusion over the correct spelling of Alfred Packer's name. Official documents from the military, court proceedings, and even his tombstone listed as Alfred G. Packer. Yet during his first stint in the military, he had written it as Alfred instead of Alfred. 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 <laughs> and had that spelling tattooed on his arm. He was known to spell it this way or others on occasion. So he spelled his own name wrong. It's like he could have had some literacy issues or the tattoo artist could have spelled his name wrong. But it, Alfred or... Was his tattoo artist named Danielle? Listen. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe later. Alfred or Alfred. Same thing. I'm calling him Alfred. Alfred was born on November 21st, 1842 in Allen County, Pennsylvania, one of three children to James and Esther Packer. By the early 1850s, James Packer had moved his family to LaGrange County, Indiana. Where's LaGrange County? It's all the way north. I think I looked at it. It's at the very top of the border. Kind of like... I'm pretty sure that's in the same that's in the same neck of the woods as Laporte. You were looking. Yeah, at... but where's Laporte? Where's Laporte? Huh? huh? Tell me where Lagrange is first. Um, you're looking at like a uh, forty mile drive from South Bend. Okay. Not towards the lake, and Laporte is next to the lake. Okay. Good job. Thanks. The lake, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. The big one. The big one. The only <laughs> big one that touches the state. Okay, good job, Daniel. Rock on. So that's where he lived for a while, and his dad learned to be a cabinet maker. Because we like cabinets a lot here in Indiana. It's one of our favorite things. Alfred is said to have had a bitter relationship with his parents and later moved in his late teens to Minnesota, where he worked as a shoemaker. It's like, fuck your cabinets. I'm going to start making shoes. Then the Civil War broke out, and he was of the right age to enlist. When he was 19, he went west and enlisted in the 16th U.S. Infantry in Winona, Minnesota. But by the end of the year, epilepsy had forced him out with an honorable discharge. So he has epilepsy. Pretty badly, too. By June 1863, he was back enlisting in the 8th Regiment in the Iowa Cavalry. Once again, he didn't last. He was mustered out, quote-unquote. Again, due to his epileptic seizures that occurred every two days or so. And it was the full body seizures. And like, you're not normal for a while after a seizure too. Like, it's not like you have it and then you're like, okay, got that out of the way for the day. It's like, you'll be feeling weird for a while. One of Alfred's reports says that he served with General Custard as a scout. Colonel Mustard in the library. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Yep, yep. We got her that junior clue. There's no murder. Someone stole a cake. We have to solve that. And what they were drinking and what time it happened. Yeah, it's not the same. Mm-mm. He then traveled west and over the next nine years worked at numerous odd jobs, including as a hunter, wagon teamster, ranch hand, and field worker. But his seizures and overall attitude ensured that he never kept a job for long. He also worked for a couple months as a guide. <laughs> Just a couple months. <laughs> I was like, that makes me a guide. But those who knew him at this time later stated that being a guide was by no means his strong point, and he was prone to lose his way. It means you're not a very good guide. He ended up working mining-related jobs, drifting from mine to mine, but never found prosperity through the industry. I think he lost some fingers, too, mining, like, and got lead poisoning a couple times. Who needs those? Yeah. By all accounts, Alfred was generally disliked and distrusted by most who knew him. He was recalled by several different people as having been known to steal and being quarrelsome and difficult person to get along with. I mean, I can identify with some of that. (laughs) Alfred managed to elude the law for nine years. So after he escaped that jail, which I think was closer to a log cabin, was gone for nine years. And living under the assumed name John Schwartz. It was Schwartz. (laughs) Your Schwartz is bigger than mine. (laughs) No one knows how he made a living for all that time or why he ventured back so close to where people knew him. But finally, in March of 1883, Frenchy Cabazon, a former member of the original party, recognized his laugh in a saloon in Fort Fetterman, Wyoming. (laughs) That's how he sounded. (laughs) That's how he sounded. We have family in Wyoming. (laughs) Rearrested, he went before a grand jury, which returned. Five indictments against him for the hatchet murders of five doomed prospectors. Alfred offered yet a second confession on March 16th, 1883, again under the supervision of the same General Adams. He said that he and the others had left Chief Ure's camp with seven days worth of food provisions for one man. In other words, not very much. After two or three days, they encountered a snowstorm. By the fourth day, they had only a pint of flour left out of all their provisions. Ten days into the treacherous trek, as they were surviving on rosebuds and pine gum, some of them showed signs of serious depression and even madness. Israel was growing angry and told him to go up the mountain with a rifle and scout out the terrain. He said that when he went scouting, all he could find was more snow. (laughs) And I, he should know he's the guide. (laughs) 
The situation looked hopeless, especially since Shannon Bell had been acting crazy that morning, as if hunger was twisting his mind. When Alfred returned with nothing positive to report, he said that he found Bell sitting by a fire roasting a large piece of meat, which he had cut out of the leg of the German butcher, i.e. Frank Miller. His body was lying the furthest off from the fire down the stream. His skull was crushed in with a hatchet. The other three men were lying near the fire. They were cut in the forehead with the hatchet. Some had two, maybe three cuts. As Alfred approached the fire, Bell picked up the bloody hatchet to attack him too. In self-defense, he claimed, he shot the man through the stomach. When Bell dropped his hatchet and fell onto his face, Alfred grabbed it and used it on him, hitting him in the top of the head to ensure that he, the would-be attacker was indeed dead. So, he's saying, one dude killed the, all the other dudes and he was crazy, and I killed him in self-defense. It wasn't my idea to eat anyone. As long as it wasn't your idea, you know. And then he spent the night in despair. He tried to leave the camp the next day, leaving the four dead men behind, but the snow was too deep. He covered the dead, but for several weeks lived on the flesh. Each day, he made a renewed attempt to leave, but each day the snow thwarted him, so he took more flesh from the dead. He estimated that he survived this way for about two months. I could not eat but a little at a time. Finally, when the snow looked to be thawing and crusting over, Alfred packed a few pieces of human flesh, a gun, $70 he had found on the men, and went on his way. Just before he reached the agency, at his very last camp, he consumed the last pieces of meat. He admitted that he had led the 1874 party in search of the bodies. He had not gone all the way back because he didn't want to venture that close to the site. So he knew where the bodies were, and he knew they didn't match his story of losing men along the way. He's like, I don't know. All the snow looks the same. I did not know. And how, are there rosebuds in the middle of winter? He's saying we survived on rosebuds. Rosebud. Alfred added that he had escaped from jail by using a pen knife as a key and had initially gone to Arkansas and Arizona before heading to Wyoming. Once again, he claimed that this was a true confession voluntarily made and sworn before a notary. So the first time he swore under God that it was true this one is extra true because it's in front of a notary of course that's how it works alfred packer's trial began on april 6 1883 at the hinsdale county courthouse in lake city colorado for the murder of the elderly israel swan according to witnesses israel's remains had shown evidence of hand-to-hand struggle implicating alfred in a much more violent episode than shooting a man in self-defense besides it was not israel he had claimed to shoot but bell Judge Melville B. Jerry presided. Preston Nutter, who had identified the five victims in the clearing, testified as a lay witness to what he had seen and what he knew. Using illustrations, he described for the jury the positions of the body as they had been found and said that all but one bore hatchet wounds to the head. The lone individual had been struck hard in the back of the head, which was mashed in. So everyone had head trauma. Oddly, the coroner... The man in the best position to offer a professional analysis did not testify at all. He wasn't even called to do so. It's because he didn't fucking write anything down. It was just the same, like, well, I was there. Look, he's a really nice guy, okay? Okay, and his, you know, <laughs> his sister is married to my brother, and we feel like we have to give him a job. So he's the coroner. <laughs> <laughs> Since he had never recorded his observations of the condition of the remains, it was mostly a matter of who the jury would believe, and no one was a true eyewitness of the events save Alfred Packer himself. When recalled later in the trial, Preston Nutter described a hole he had seen in a bone served from one of the bodies, and in his layman's opinion said it looked like a gunshot wound. Taking the witness stand, Alfred defended himself for more than two hours, and in the process told several significant lies. He lied about his age, the nature of his military service, the fact that he had enlisted twice and been discharged twice, and the, the cause of his epilepsy, which he said had resulted from walking guard duty. Which doesn't make any sense. Addressing the issue at hand, he denied any blame in the deaths of most of the party, but admitted that he had shot and killed hatchet-wielding Wilson Bell in self-defense. He also spoke of the deaths of the others and said that some of those who had survived longer had eaten the others to stay alive, a direct contradiction of his second confession in which only Bell had done this. So now they're saying they murdered each other and instead of just Bell killing everyone. However, when all of this gruesome activity allegedly occurred, Alfred himself had always been scouting for the trail or food, like, or firewood or something. He happened to always be gone when people were being murdered. Like, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know. He returned to find human remains already boiling in a stew pot. 
I'm going to make some chicken noodle soup after this. No. <laughs> Although he did admit to taking meat from the bones of two of the deceased because he'd offered several versions of his experiences at different times and had admitted to taking the victim's belongings and money, despite his testimony, things did not go well for Alfred. Worse still, on the witness stand, he was quarrelsome, again, and flippant. Some of his fabrications were transparent attempts to save himself. Like most liars, Alfred believed he had made his case with his detailed presentation, but the jury did not accept his versions of the tale. April 13, 1883, nine years after he had emerged from the wilderness, Alfred Packer was convicted of the premeditated murder of Israel Swan. Legend has it that Judge Jerry then pronounced the sentence as, okay, this is a quote, Stand up, yay, ferocious man-eating son of a bitch, and receive your sins. When ye come to Hinsdale County, there was seven, seven Democrats, but you of ye eight and five of them, goddamn ya, I sentence ya, been hanging by the neck until you're dead, 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 as a warning again in reducing the Democratic population of this country. <laughs> Packer, you Republican cannibal, I would sentence y'all to tell, but the state forbids it. Really, the judge was actually educated and did not speak that way. Was he supposed to be ye? Ye, yeah. You're saying yay. Yeah, it's yay and ye. It's a, like it's all misspelled. Do you see it? Uh, like it's all gibberish almost. I can't read. Yeah, it's all like, but really what he said. He was a literate man and said, according to court documents, was close your ears to the blandishment of hope. Listen not to the flattering promises of life, but prepare for the dread certainty of death. So he was much better spoken. It was that one guy had to make it political. That's what it was. Talking about Democrats and the Republican killed the Democrats. That's what it was. Well, you said this was like right around after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So that makes yeah. sense. Alfred Packer was condemned to be hanged on May 19th, 1883. Until you are dead, dead, dead. And may God have mercy upon your soul. From up here to get a good view. When when his eyes bug out, we'll know it's the end of him and the end of the show. So hang the bastard, hang with cheer. We'll make some hot dogs and take a few beers. And when his tongue rolls out, we'll know it's the end of the show and we all can go home. But not till we hang the bastard, hang him here. The most exciting thing this town has seen in years When his body stops jerking, we'll know It's the end of him It's the end of him It's the end of him And the end of the show yeah. Cowbell solo charged with tried for or convicted of cannibalism or crimes related to cannibalism but it was not over yet the man-eater was not about to be hanged and he had one more version of the story to tell and actually it's not illegal to eat human remains you just can't kill anyone to eat it oh well, that's good to know mm -hmm. so you could like wait for someone to die of natural causes yeah and i think in a situation where it's like survival then it's like you can't oh be... so you have to be in survival i don't know i guess there's plenty of, i think there's plenty of people that would eat a body if they just found it out there plenty of fucked up people 
Don't eat bodies. It can give you weird tremors and stuff, too, eating human flesh. Hey, Sweet Baby Ray's makes everything good. <laughs> How do you know that? Um, From personal experience? No, it was in a movie. I'm pretty sure it does. It makes you crazy. Personal experience. That's mm. what I'm going to go off with. Two years <laughs> later, Alfred won the right to a new trial to take place in Gunnison about 30 miles away. The Colorado Supreme Court had set aside the murder conviction based on a technical legislative oversight. Dun, dun, dun. Alfred could not be tried in 1883 for a crime he had committed in 1874 because there had been no state murder statute in 1874 that allowed for it. In other words, he had been arrested when Colorado was a territory, but tried when Colorado was a state. So they're like, it's this weird gray area. He was retried in 1896 for all five deaths, not just Israel Swan, on a different charge, voluntary manslaughter. So we have to have another trial. Because they're like, yeah, 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 this territory, not a state, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. The jury in that trial also convicted him, but they only sentenced him to 40 years, eight for each of the five deaths in the state penitentiary, which I think was the longest sentence in the United States at the time, handed down. But it was like he killed five people, so. On August 7th, 1897, he wrote a letter to D.H. Hatch of the Denver Rocky Mountain News. Am I the villainous wretch which some have asserted me to be, he asked. No man can be more heartily sorry for the acts of 24 years ago than I. He felt he had been unjustly dealt with, there having been no motive for why he would attack his fellow man. The ghost of the dead man, he believed, knew he was innocent. Huh? 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 And why would a ghost lie? Yeah. They don't wear pants. I wear pants on mine. <laughs> After serving 16 years in prison, Alfred Packer made a petition for parole. His case was reviewed and parole was denied. A reporter at the Denver Post, Polly Pry, which sounds like a reporter name, Polly does, Pry, yeah. grew interested in his case and believed he was innocent. She began a campaign for Alfred's release and with the paper's support got the attention of the governor. He made another application for parole based on his deteriorating physical condition, and in 1901, the parole was approved. The prison physician had certified that Alfred was suffering from Bright's disease, which I forget what it is, but we talked about it. From eating human flesh. No, it's not. What is it? (laughs) I think it's kidney. Uh, Bright's disease is a historical classification of kidney diseases that would be described in modern medicine as acute or chronic nephritis. Yep. Okay, kidney Characterized problem. Characterized by swelling. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I don't need any more. Which made further confinement dangerous. I don't know if it's dangerous to his health. I mean, he wasn't going to explode kidney problems everywhere. In addition, Alfred had persuaded prominent men around the state, notably reporters and the owner of the Denver Post, to sign a petition on his behalf. The owners believed they could get Alfred to be a sideshow freak in the Cells Floto Circus for their profit. I only read that one place. I don't really know. Like, he doesn't continue to eat flesh. Like, he just happened to have. So what would the sideshow part be? You're like, yes, I ate You people. come talk to him? Be like, one time I ate people. Well, one time at band camp? <laughs> I would be like, what did it taste like? Like, well. How did you prepare it? Pig. Tasted like pig. The governor had not changed his mind about the offenses, so Alfred was not pardoned, but he didn't. he did see warrant in permitting him to be released from imprisonment. He went to Denver and worked at the newspaper as a guard, but city life did not please him, so he moved to Deer Creek Canyon in Jefferson County, yet he did not have long to enjoy his freedom. His final years were spent managing two mines and telling children the stories of his adventures (laughs) as he dealt with his liver and stomach ailments. Many said that he was a nice old man. Five years later, a state game warden found Alfred unconscious a mile from his home. Just before he died on April 24, 1907 from a stroke, listed as senile Trouble and worry. Hmm. Yes, trouble and worry. He wrote a letter to the governor to request a full pardon. No action was taken. Buried in Littleton, Colorado at Prince Avenue Cemetery, lot number 65, he had and continues to gain many supporters who believe that he was a victim of circumstance and had killed other men because he was starving. Although at both of his trials, he, he himself had denied this claim. He's saying, I didn't kill them. Someone else did. I just happened to be there to eat them with Sweet Baby Ray sauce in my back pocket. Years after the fact, the citizens of Lake City erected a monument for the victims and threw a community fish fry in the exact spot where the victims had been buried. However, it proved to be a source of some contention. 
So a place where men were being starved and eaten, they had a fish fry. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Who said this was okay? And they're like, yeah, I guess that was kind of in poor taste. Needed some sweet baby rice. James E. Stars, a law professor from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., visited Gunnison one day in 1989 and heard some of the stories, having long been curious about Alfred Packer's two trials and his chosen defense, he looked for the spot where the victims had been buried. Townspeople directed him to various places like Dead Man's Gulch, but no one was altogether certain. James decided to ask the owners of the property on which a monument where the victims' names had been erected if he could dig down and find evidence of the remains. They granted permission, he obtained insurance and several grants and planned for an archaeological dig. He wrote about the experience in his newsletter, Scientific Sleuth Review. Sounds real professional. <laughs> so this was like a formal dig. Like he got a bunch of people. It commenced on July 17, 1989, a bright sunny day with a team that included anthropologists, archaeologists, photographers, student diggers, a lawyer, and other forensic personnel. So like it was authorized completely. Like how they recently dug up H.H. Holmes. Like it was through a university and it was like you have to do this right and you only get one chance and then we're putting him back. Why did they dig him up? To confirm his identity if it was him or not how would they do that i forget if you listen to infamous indie his episode on hh holmes they talk about it there you go local media were on hand from around the state to document anything that was found james started to dig with a team of experts who had brought in a ground penetrating radar and after they ran the machine over the area they told him they suspected that whatever anomaly was below the surface was not very deep possibly only a foot these guys have been buried a foot deep for centuries. And it's like, what? <laughs> so the anthropologists and students <laughs> took over with hand trowels, and it wasn't long before they discovered human remains. Digging for the rest of the day, they uncovered all five victims laid out side by side. So it wasn't hard to get them out. The bones were not intermingled, which made things easier for the forensic anthropologists. And they were photographed, box labeled, and taken to anthropology lab at the University of Arizona at Tucson. I think some were sent to the Smithsonian also. Using known data, they managed to figure out the identities of each set of remains and did a, did a more detailed examination for bone damage. It can be difficult to make decisions about causes of death on skeletal remains unless there has been a wound from a bullet, knife, or blunt force that penetrated or broken a bone. In this case, given the various witness accounts, they did expect to find trauma, so they were careful to document everything, unlike the former coroner, who couldn't read, <laughs> but was married to someone, so he had to stay with his job. Yep. Three of the bodies had blunt force blows to the head as well as cuts to the arms and hands, which Professor James Starr interpreted as defense wounds. He also believed that nicks on the bones that appeared to have been made by the knife were evidence of defleshing. While not everyone on the team agreed about how much actual support there was for making a definitive statement, James went on record as saying that Alfred was a murdering cannibal and a liar. <laughs> so by the his very formal anthro anthropological exhumation, he can. He formed the opinion that this dude was a liar. I was like, I thought you were looking at the bodies. Those sheep are the liars. liars. <laughs> <laughs> the remains were reburied in a wooden box in the same spot with a somber ceremony and no fish fry this time. Alfred Packer's guilt or innocence may always remain a mystery. So the legend lives on, ladies and gentlemen. People have not forgotten about Alfred or Alfred Packer. The University of Colorado at Boulder named their student cafeteria the Alfred Packer Memorial Grill. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And they made a formal plaque, too. Like on Wikipedia, there's a picture of Alfred Packer Memorial Grill as a cynical statement about the food service there. <laughs> this is from Wikipedia with the slogan, have a friend for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Students can order the El Cannibal beef burger, and on the wall is a giant map outlining Packer's travels through Colorado. It has since been renamed the Alfred Packer Restaurant and Grill. They didn't, it's still Alfred Packer, like they didn't like yeah. change the name and that much. It's not like they changed, they probably are still serving some type of sandwich that has the word cannibal, cannibal in, in it. it. I think that I read something like the president or something of the university was trying to change food service people and they wouldn't let him out of his contract so they made a big display of their cannibal something something and advertised who they were getting their food from and they were like never mind we'll let you out of your contract yeah. we don't want to be associated with your cannibalism <laughs> a documentary movie was made the legend of alfred packer as well as a musical 
Cannibal the Musical, made by the creators of South Park. South Park. <laughs> it's in Colorado. They went to, I think they went to Boulder, but I'm not for, they went to somewhere, a school somewhere in Colorado. I've never heard of that musical. Was it, was it while they were in college? Maybe. They did it? Maybe. The 1999 uh, Czech American horror movie Ravenous is loosely based on the story of Alfred Packer. The American death metal band Cannibal Corpse dedicated their <laughs> debut album Eat Back to Life, Eaten Back to Life, 1992 Packer. The following statement can be found in the inlay of the album. This album is dedicated to the memory of Alfred Packer, the first American cannibal. R.I.P. <laughs> cannibal Corpses. So that's their mascot is Alfred Packer. <laughs> Um, so people are weird. Oh, super weird. <laughs> in uh, Ace Ventura, I th- is it Ace Ventura? God, it's a Jim Carrey. No, yeah, I think it's Ace Ventura. He goes to that place. He goes to a, a club, oh. and there's a he goes to see a metal band playing. It's the very first one. There's that scene. He goes somewhere. Yeah, because he's looking for that's Cannibal Corpse. Okay. He, yes, I know. Jim Carrey was actually a fan. Okay, so he had them be a part of the movie. Yes. So, yes, cannibalism is mildly entertaining. I don't... I mean, it happens, though. People get stranded. Dad was mentioning the soccer team. That that, that should be the day of the episode. Cannib- cannibalism is mildly entertaining. entertaining. <laughs> well, it's not like, you know, straight up Jeffrey Dahmer where I'm eating people because I want to. And it's like... That was weird because I just Googled that right when you said that. Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. There was another instance they called the Donner Party. Yes. Which was people stranded in um in probably the same area yeah and they all were dying and eating each other so it's like that's what they're saying they're saying his case of being stranded with men in the mountains is no different than the other ones it's like it happens people eat each other when they're desperate and it's like you can't in 1847 okay so that was before they mention it they're like it's the same thing and you can't press charges against him for that and it's like but did he murder everyone or did one of his buddies kill everyone in then he he took all their money. Be really hard to figure that. Yeah, out. you can't prove it. It's just the fact that he took all their money and was like flaunting it around and stuff. And it's like, I mean, I would take the money too. Yeah. For whatever reason, but I probably but... wouldn't keep all five wallets. No. <laughs> so it just became like you did you kill these guys to rob them type of thing. I read one statement that said after he became a vegetarian. Also, so I'd prefer not to have to eat anyone in life. Well, I don't know. What? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> You're gross. If somebody paid you a million dollars to try to eat someone, I think it's For called... a million bucks? Yeah. Because yeah. like, they, they call it long pig because we... I've heard that. Yeah, that like human flesh because it tastes like pig. Type in what long kind of pig. pig. Type in long pig. Like, are you talking ham? Yeah. Bacon? Probably more like ham. Oh, pork that's chop. disgusting. Probably a pork chop. I don't want to Google it. That's what we're having for Christmas. <laughs> pork chop. Ham. Long pig. Long pig. So it does happen. People, but there's that something... was my nickname in high school. Long pig. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> there is something with a mental, you know, or a neurological virus or something, bacteria that you can get from eating human flesh. It does happen. And what was it? It had Denzel Washington with the Bible, and he was the Book of Eli. Yeah, the Book of Eli. There's something where people are eating people, and one of them has a tremor, and he's like, "Oh, you guys fucking eat humans!" Like, and that's how he knew. But that's all I got. I'm not. I'm not a professional. I don't know. Anything else, folks? No. Well, if the RV comes back, I might have to eat someone. I volunteers tribute. Tribute. What is what do hillbillies taste like? I, do you think a hillbilly would taste any better They'd or have worse? They have a smokier flavor. What to about them. A, a vegan compared to like? Uh, I wouldn't eat a vegan. <laughs> well, maybe they would taste healthier. They taste healthier, cleaner. They would taste cleaner, like fresh. Sure. I have all these preservatives in me from processed foods. I ate a lot of sugar. Might be sweet. They could still eat like pop tarts and sugar. They can. I think so. Uh, it depends on what kind of gelatin is in it, because some gelatin is animal product. How do you know that? I feel like if you're going, if you're going through all the effort to be vegan, you're not going to eat fucking pop tarts. Yeah, I don't know. I know you someone brag about your who was, and she ate very unhealthy. How? If it's all fucking vegan, pop tarts. Pop tarts. Damn it! I don't know. That sounds more like vegetarian than vegan. But I don't eat meat. 
Yo, I'm a pescatarian. I'm pescatarian. <laughs> I'm actually Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever. <laughs> uh, we uh, recently released a Patreon episode about YouTubers that are dumb, dumb YouTube people. It's like two episodes long because there's a lot of audio clips in it that I stole. I mean, use. What were some of them? Jackass was in there. I don't know. I wasn't there, and I probably won't listen to it. A guy that went. <laughs> a guy that did some streaking. You know, some other funny stuff. Steve-O. Steve-O. And then I put in the clip of the guy that put the toy car in his ass and then went to have it x-rayed. I've seen that. It's pretty funny. He's like, this is not a part of you. That's something extra. (laughs) How'd it get there? He goes, I didn't eat it. He goes, oh, no, you couldn't eat that. And he goes, goes, maybe you put it up your ass. (laughs) He's like, I didn't put it up my ass. I, the best part of that, he goes to the next room and calls a colleague. To say, in his ass, a toy car. His buddies put a toy car in his ass. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> rad. Look at him walk. Don's gonna win, dude. I'm not too excited about this kid. It's not my favorite I've ever done because there's a toy car in my butt. But this is the butt x-ray. I think I need an x-ray. Control. Yeah. How you doing? Pretty good. I'm right. What can I do for you? I was partying last night with some frat guys. I passed out. I must have fallen down and broken something because I haven't been able to walk right since. We're going to take x-ray now. Okay. To be sure. This is comfy. Hold your breath. Don't move. friends he puts it up there like in front of everyone just no, laying on the bed i can't want i love it some of the shit they do it's great it's too much <laughs> it's wonderful so some other U- dumb youtube stuff we talk about and there's the guy that took a video with the dead body in the suicide force oh my god that it guy is fucking rot it is logan paul i kept trying to tell daniel it was paul logan <laughs> yes the entire time i was like are you she's sure? like yeah she's are like it's paul it look up paul logan I'm like, who the hell's Paul? There's a there's a Logan Paul. I was like, yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> it is. It is Logan Paul. Yeah, he lost a lot of money, but donated a lot of money to like suicide prevention stuff. And yeah, he fucked up. Yeah, and he knew, and then he, he got weird and like. And now he's a fighter. He's some fighting. And I watched this video like where he got a bunch of money, so he like lived in Beverly Hills on mm. this like nice street, and like he was just be outside like all day like friends everywhere on the roof like blaring music and the, all his neighbors were like please stop please go away youtubers yeah. another was some guys cemented his head into a microwave oh, yeah. and had to have the ambulance come it's pretty yeah. funny yep that is funny 
Okay, that's all I got. And you tell them where to find us. Instagram, Twitter, at Who's Your Homicide. We have a Facebook. And uh, we're on like all the, the podcast places. I mean, Instagram. If you're listening to this now, then like you probably already know that. But You know it. You know it. Was that dog buried under there? <laughs> I wondered where he went. That he yep. did like it. Or says, fuck all. He, he'd eat us if we died in the house and we didn't fill his food bowl. He'd eat us. You think? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and for honest to goodness, stay, stay out of, of the, the corn. corn. Ruff. Ruff. Cannibal burgers. Mm.